Hi, everyone. Welcome back to SEL Convergence. We are back for another episode. And once again, Tom has found not only uh, a voice you might remember from an earlier episode, but somebody new to join our conversation today as we talk a little bit about some values, some science-backed values that belong in every school district, no matter where it is. Tom, take us away. Thank you, Mike. Uh I'm very, very happy to have our friend Julia Skolnick back. Julia, everybody loved listening to you the last time we were together, and I continue to share your wisdom wherever I have a chance to speak. Thank you so much for being here. And we have a new friend, uh, Dave Bao, who has had spent time with us in Southeastern PA. He is now in beautiful Aspen, Colorado. You, I am envious, my friend, I am envious. So I'm gonna ask Julia, and Dave to share a little bit about um, their background and what they do on a, on a somewhat regular basis. And then we're gonna get into some dialogue. Julia, can you begin? Absolutely. Thanks for having me back, Tom. It's so great to be with you. And I'm excited to have my friend and longtime colleague, Dave, join us today. Uh, so my name is Julia Skolnick. I'm the Chief Learning Officer and Founder of Professional Learning Partnerships. And we are an organization dedicated to learning and leadership powered by brain science. So we partner with school districts and organizations around the country, um, empowering educators and leaders to use useful science in neuroscience, cognitive science, educational psychology, to make strong decisions that empower student learning to be long-lasting, memorable, meaningful, and motivational. Thank you, Julia. And Dave? Uh, thanks, Tom. It's a real pleasure to be here with Julia and yourself and Mike. Uh, like I said, real pleasure. Um, and from Aspen, Colorado, though formerly uh, superintendent in Bucks County for over 10 years. And uh, that's actually where I got to know Julia. And, um, you know, one of my passions is, you know, how do we make learning stick? How does it work? And there's, you know, we've all been doing it for years, uh, but there, there had to be more than what I had experienced as a learner. And so as a leader, I started my own kind of master's course, trying to figure out how the brain works, which brought me, you know, brought my trail over to Julia's and the trails crossed and we forged a pretty good working relationship that's almost 10 years old now. So um, you know, we've been working together on this and it's been transformational for me as a leader and, and for, you know, my, my leadership teams and staff. So that's kind of what brought me here today. Thank you so much, Dave. I love this idea of making learning stick. And if you would, please talk a little bit about your current work together and what you see that helps learning stick. Let's start first with our administrators and our teachers? Let's start with our adults first. Yeah, well, I'll start with some of the history and background of kind of how Dave and I found each other and, and some of the early success of this work. Um, so Dave was a superintendent at Ben Salem Township School District at the time. I was leading professional development at the Franklin Institute Science Museum in Philadelphia. And we realized we had a shared interest in building educators and leaders understanding about learning. Uh, the brain exhibit had just opened at the Franklin Institute and it was this wonderful opportunity to merge what schools care about and what a science museum cares about. Mm. And that was really the spark that brought us together. And what's been so interesting, which you just heard from Dave is that 
I, I think of him as my innovation partner. We talk about this a lot. We kind of push each other and give each other new ideas. And we're always kind of thinking ahead about what, what teachers want, what they need, how we can empower them. Um, so kind of fast forwarding a bit, the, the theme of the story of the work that we've done together is bringing administrators together, bringing teachers together to debunk powerful myths about learning, kind of pull the wool out from, you know, over people's eyes and let them see what current science actually says about learning and then kind of shake things up a little bit, right? When you say, Dave, it's about kind of helping people unlearn bad information about learning and leadership and then figure out where they want to go with that. And teachers and administrators have gone in a lot of different directions with it. And kind of uh, interesting angle about it, uh, Tom, is thinking about it from a strengths-based uh, approach, right? Most of contemporary American education is deficit-based. Mm -hmm. And one of the really neat things that um, we were able to create with Julia was this incubator where people are, are moving out from a place of their strengths, from their passions, from what they're really curious about. And when we first started designing work for our teams, we brought some of the team members to sit with Julia. And then, you know, we brought the educational lens and she brought the science lens. As she said, we kind of smushed the two together. And then we encouraged people to go out and build from there. And I think that's what was really so transformational about the whole process. You know, you build from a place of strength, of curiosity, of passion, and you ground it in, in neuroscience. It, uh, it, it's year after year, the reports have been, it's the best PD that people have ever experienced. And then when you see it in the classroom, you're like, aha, this time and energy was a great investment. So go back to the smush. I want to know, I want to know exactly as explicitly as you can, because this gets me very excited. Tell me about the smush together, neuroscience and education that you brought into that professional development world. Yeah, so I'll, I can start with that a little bit. I think my philosophy on professional learning is to excite and activate teachers. They are human beings. They are people. Just like we think about teachers who teach students. When I teach adults, it's not about information transfer. That is not my job. It's not to give information. It's to really spark an interest. And like Dave said, that curiosity and questions that make them act and mm -hmm. own it for themselves. So I've always thought of myself as the partner in being able to facilitate those, those aha moments, and then turn it over to the teachers and say, where do you see misalignment between how we learn and how we teach? How could things be better? Where do you want to take this? And in my mind, that's the like transfer of power where that smush really happens is that we need each other. You know, a professional learning facilitator needs teachers to actually make decisions about what they're going to do with this new realization, this discovery but that's not something that I can predict or that I should dictate as a professional learning facilitator. It takes that partnership and that give and take to together kind of bring what the other doesn't have and then make this unique direction possible based on what they feel most passionate about. I'll, I'll back up a hair ahead of the smush, Tom. Okay. Um, I was sitting there talking with another superintendent and sharing some of the 
my learnings from my readings around neuroscience and high performance and uh, you know that sort of thing and obviously working in the philadelphia market you know we have access to angela duckworth mm-hmm. and you know all these other cutting edge folks mm-hmm. and i was saying you know i'm really fascinated by the neuroscience piece of of learning and high performance right and he says you know i've got 10 years of college and i have no idea how the brain works and i said you know i didn't get a single course in my 10 years of college in how the brain works, even all the psych courses I took as an undergraduate, it didn't really explain to you how the brain worked. Mm -hmm. That got (laughs) me on the quest to find someone who could help bridge neuroscience and education, and which brought me to the Franklin and and Julia. And uh, I called her up and said, hey, you know, I saw your advertisements uh, at Panera's. I want to bring my whole leadership team down. I, I, I grabbed 40 coupons and she said, keep the coupons. Let's talk. Right. And so a couple of us went down and we sat with Julia and we designed a leadership retreat. And at the end of the day, the aha, there were so many aha moments for veteran school leaders, some of the best in the business. Mm-hmm. They're like, wow, I had no idea. I'm going to try this differently. And then afterwards, we went back to Julia and said, all right, let's scale this. We want to start taking our teachers through this. And we want leadership day two. Mm. So we helped design that. So that's where the educational piece came in. That's where this smush started happening. And uh, it, it was really exciting and, and changed how I think about teaching and learning uh, profoundly. So, Julia, I I want you to go back to two words you used, excite and activate. And can you bring our listeners some examples of explicitly what you do in working with Dave and and other environments in professional development that excite and activate those those professional learners? Right, for sure. So, you know, having science in my background, the inquiry style of facilitation is just in my DNA now. I think there's no getting it out. Um, and the way I always position learning experiences is are through questions and for teachers to discover things for themselves. So, and we talked about this in our last podcast episode together, that experience of debating whether neuromyths are true or not is always a heated discussion. I I must have done this a thousand times now. And there's still never an entire room that always knows the perfect science. Mm. So it shows me that, you know, people still need to have those discussions to think through their own thoughts about why they think people learn a certain way or what they've heard, or do they think it's true or not? Kind of going through your own thought process to discover where you land on learning I have found it never disappoints. Teachers always get excited about it. They always have healthy debates. And I have found, Dave, I wonder what you think about this, but normally in PD or in our day-to-day work in education, we don't often get the space to think about why we do what we do or how learning actually happens. We're just so swamped with day-to-day operations of get through your schedule, get through your lessons, go to the meetings you have to go to that space to just actually ask some questions and think about what matters and what doesn't and get back to the heart of learning kind of awakens people's excitement. Um, And then the other thing I do is facilitate 
reflections on, you know, where do our practices match current science? Where do they not? And I always give teachers time to plan at least one action step they're going to take, usually with the support of their building team so that they're not alone. There's some accountability in there. I love to see groups multiple times throughout a year and multiple years to form those relationships and let teachers know I'm here for them and we're going to help work work through this process. It's not Mm -hmm. sort of one and done information transfer. Excellent. Dave, you want to piggyback? I do, Tom. Thanks. I'll try to frame it slightly differently. I think of this as uh, authentic project-based learning for adults. And, you know, it's over time. I don't think Julia and I have ever designed and scheduled the one and done. It's always been a multiple touch over time. It's always been how will you, the teacher, apply it in the classroom? How will you, the building principal, apply it in the building? How will you apply these learnings? And so, you know, I, I think something that might resonate for your listeners is that notion of authentic project-based adult learning. Um, and and it, it's real, you know, and it's exciting because it impacts your practice. Right. And, you know, yeah, everybody's tired, especially. And, you know, this is the third year we were dealing with COVID in the in the schools. Everybody's beat. And this is a much harder year. But if we can take those lessons of neuroscience and apply them to our leadership teams, to our teacher teams, to our to our students, most importantly, then, you know, we're getting some pretty serious impact there. Dave, can you take our listeners to that first that first series of planning sessions with Julia, when, when you started to smush this together and what were some of the, the explicit pieces that you wanted to make sure were in the professional development? Well, it was really, it, it was the, so what? Okay. Really important to us. Okay. This is nice to know that you can't multitask, right? Mm-hmm. You can't. It can do high-speed serial paying attention, but you can't multitask. But so what? You know, the lived experience is you you think you're multitasking. But if um, you start thinking about it like, all right, now how are we going to apply this? And that was what we really spent a lot of time. uh, We we designed, um, especially with Julia's help, you know, what does a lesson plan look like? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we took it granular. What does a lesson plan look like? What does a staff meeting look like? Uh, if you apply principles of neuroscience, do you start with questions? I mean, how many faculty meetings have you heard about where the principal gets up and just kind of drones at you? And you're like, man, I wish this person would have put that in an email and done us all a favor. Right. So, you know, it changes how you interact with your colleagues and it changes how you think about the end product what is it you're looking for mm-hmm. and how will you know you're successful if if your kids are questioning and and bringing curiosity to a classroom you know it's not going to look like lines and it's not going to look like everybody sitting there quiet and attentive you know and you know if, if you work hard and then you take a brain break and somebody's walking by you know are you able to explain it right. so you start getting to the the real underpinnings of neuroscience and education when you plan it out together Mm -hmm. 
And, and that's why it's really important. Now, Dave, you've been doing this a while. Uh, and I heard early on in our discussion that the first group you worked with were your administrators. Right. Well, tone starts at the top. And, you know, if the top is curious, if they're asking questions instead of providing answers, if they're helping people grow uh, and become better, you know, leaders themselves, that's the kind of organization um, you want to create. So it seemed to me to make sense to start with the administrators so that they would understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. Right. And you have to remember when we got started, it was in the early days of the relationship. Mm -hmm. We were the first educators to come to Julia and her team and say, talk to us about neuroscience. So before we took it to scale, we started with the administrators. The administrators loved it. Best PD ever. Most meaningful wow. PD ever. This totally resonates for me. I want to come back. I want day two. You know, I want to know what day two looks like. And then, you know, we started asking them questions. What was so good about it? Do you think this would matter to your teachers? Um, what would taking it to scale look like? What would you like to learn about in day two? And so that's, you know, the inquiry piece uh, that led to action that Julia was referencing earlier, I think. You I mean, know correct what else me I'm, if I'm wrong, Julia. <laughs> no, you got it. I would say, too, what I realized after having started with the administrators through Dave's recommendation was it provided a strong opportunity for common language across the district. Um, and I remember Dave and I having this realization that, wow, understanding about the brain really applies to every single person in our entire district. It's hard to find a topic that really relates to every single level. And it was almost this unifying experience that it applies to all of us. We all care about kids and the science is going to help us do our work better at every single level. Um, and I would say the other element of that smush too was that the teachers that we brought together at the beginning under Dave's leadership, we really asked them, how do you apply this? Just like Dave said, how do you apply this in your work? And we partnered kindergarten and first grade and second and third grade and fourth and fifth grade. And those teacher leaders turned around PD workshops. After I led, you know, science of learning PD, they then would coach their peers and Wonderful. model collaborative learning together to say, hey, as grade level peers, what do we want to do with this? What could our lesson plans look like? Um, what could our culture and practice look like? And actually, that partnership, even though Dave has moved on into different districts, each of those partnerships I am still working with today. Um, and I think it goes to show that the uh, commitment and interest in this theme doesn't really die out because the brain is always relevant <laughs> to teachers and educators. So I'd love to hear from both of your perspectives, the challenges of creating that long-term relationship, that long-term partnership uh, from the early days. And then you said, Julie, you're still working with some of Dave's past districts, which I find very, very exciting. One of, one of my challenges over almost 50 years in education now is, is kind of the hit and run professional development, which is at this point is just distasteful to me. I'll just say, no, thank you. Uh, I'd love to hear more about the challenges, but also how do we help our friends understand the need for this long-term relationship? 
Definitely. I'll start with that. But Dave, I'm curious because you've seen a lot of different cultures, kind of the challenges you see with sustainable PD too. I will say it's a primary goal of professional learning partnerships to sustain impactful professional learning relationships with districts. That's in our name. It's all about the partnerships. And so we're not doing our job if we're in and out. That's just not what we're all about. Um, And I know from experience that it takes years of partnership to see real change. And, you know, I'm thinking about change on an individual teacher and classroom level, but I also want to see it on a district level because when a second grader moves into third grade, are they still going to have that same memorable, meaningful, motivational learning experience and then fourth, fifth, all the way up through 11th, 12th grade? So my goal is definitely to have those sustainable partnerships, which means I have to listen really carefully Mm -hmm. and I also have to customize professional learning to match the goals of each district. Mm -hmm. And that takes time. It takes attention to detail, but because that's my primary goal, I want to be as flexible and adaptable as I can to show that the science is relevant and make sure that it speaks the same language of the culture and goals of each individual organization. Thank you, Julie. How about from your perspective, Dave? Well, I think, you know, Julia hit many of the key points, but for us, it was the front end work. It was mapping out what do we want to do? How do we want to impact, you know, the administrators or the teachers? Who is the target audience and what is it we're hoping for? So, for instance, um, here in Aspen, we've been working with Julia around both leadership as well as new teacher onboarding, right? So, in places like Aspen and even, you know, southeastern PA, everybody comes from everywhere else, mm-hmm. right? You, 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 you know, in any given schoolhouse, you have 10, 15, 20 different universities represented. Mm -hmm. How do you create that common language? How do you create that common experience over time? And so as we design various offerings with Julia, we think about it strategically. And and the idea is, so, you know, this is year two in Aspen for me. Julia's came on board this summer. She worked with the leadership team. She's working with our new teacher onboarding. My hope is that in three years, you know, if we continue to cycle at the national norms of 15 to 18% per year, you know, in, in three, four years, Julia will have worked with 60% of our teachers. And, and that's a huge impact. And then the other 40% are long haulers, the ones who stay in whatever organization. Right. And then, you know, in a couple of years, we'll have Julia working with that group around the neuroscience of teaching and learning. And, you know, that becomes transformational when you can impact, you know, 40, 60% of the teachers in any organization, plus the leadership teams, you have common language, common goals, common expectations, which is incredibly hard to establish in such a diverse schoolhouse, right? So that's kind of our thinking about it. And as we've been talking about, you know, working, um, you know, around the neuroscience, the brain-based learning, you know, this is a great foundational conversation for any classroom teacher, whether you're one year in, 10 years in, or 20 years in, this is the foundation for your student success. So that's how we think about it. Thank you, Dave. You've mentioned today the word transformational. It's a word that that 
that I value that really excites me. So Julia and Dave, tell us the essence of neuroscience as we make that partnership with the everyday educator. Tell us how we get to transformational. To me, I think the beginning of transformation is almost going back to basics a little bit and asking yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm. And is that what I want to be doing or what I should be doing? And when you can ask those fundamental questions, whether you're a leader, whether you're a classroom teacher, and you actually want to make some changes when you answer those questions, I think to me, that's pretty transformational when you kind of feel like you woke up a little bit um, and you see things differently. I've had some administrators and teachers say, I have never thought the same about this since that professional learning experience with you. If people never forget something that's baked into our experience, to me, I've done my job because it's memorable, it's sticking with them, and it's it's part of their daily thought process. That's what I see as transformational. Excellent. My goal is a little, uh, maybe more elemental. It's, I want to see it. I want to hear it. I want to feel it. I want to see kids engaged in discussing and asking questions and, you know, taking apart ideas and putting them back together. Right. I love seeing that. And when teachers are doing that and when they have the skills and the tools to kind of create that ecosystem, I start getting excited for the for that school and then in turn for that district. Right. And so for me, that's the transformational piece. Like the basic school model, it remains kind of dreary overall, right? I mean, you know, you get hit with books and four, you know, two covers, four classrooms, eight periods, 180 days a year, like stop already. I want to get on to some real learning. Yes. And and if the smush between the educational experience and the neuroscience cue us up for real learning, then that gets exciting. When kids all of a sudden after 15 or 20 minutes, we're going to have a transition in the 90 minute language arts block, but we leap to our feet and we, you know, do some clockwise rotations. And then we, you know, a couple of mind puzzlers, Mm -hmm. then we go to the next event. Well, I'd like to be in that classroom. You know, if I were a class, if I were a third grader or a ninth grader, and I think that those science, um, principles really apply and they make it more fun, more engaging, more rewarding. You start connecting with students as teachers and as human beings. And, and that's really what I think the power of uh, what we're talking about today is it creates greater connection for us as, as um, humans. And in the classroom, how exciting is that? I love that, Dave. You know, that reminds me too, I think, I'm thinking back to your early teachers and the ones that have stood out to us, um, cohort after cohort. And the teachers have all the ideas inside themselves. Mm -hmm. When we talk about the science of learning, we're not suggesting brand new ideas. Um, The teachers have these aha moments and they think, I do this stuff already. I just haven't really given myself the permission because it didn't fit with standards or it didn't fit the curriculum expectations or the pacing. But just like Dave's talking about, once they realize what's good for kids, what makes them happy, what makes them excited is actually good learning. 
it's kind of like the floodgates open. And mm -hmm. then you do see those much more dynamic uh, lit up classrooms. And that is what we want to see. Personally, I want to see kids loving learning. I want to see teachers loving teaching. And when we give them the permission based on what science tells us is good, it starts to happen. So Julia, as just as you were speaking now, and when you spoke earlier, what came to my mind when you talked about the why, what resonated with me was sense of purpose. You're reminding them why why they signed on for this in the first place. And we know that sense of purpose literally keeps us alive. I completely agree with you. I think purpose and also passion, kind of reawakening that passion. What do we really care about? We care about kids and we care about making a difference for them, making their lives better. Um, in, now in my professional learning, we do an exercise based around Simon Sinek's why, Golden mm -hmm. Circle. Dave, remember mm -hmm. that exercise mm -hmm. that we did this summer? And really just having people dig deep about why do we do what we do? What makes us special and unique? What's our purpose, like you said, Tom, for our students? Mm -hmm. And I just find that a refreshing experience to cut away what doesn't matter, refocus on what does, and then suddenly you start to see your landscape a little bit differently. But that passion is huge. And then Dave, as you were speaking, the experience I had today connected with you were saying, I, I had the privilege of talking with about 65 high school students today. And towards the end of the day, we, we started to get to what some of their dominant concerns were. And they were mental health, no surprise. They were diversity and equity, also no surprise. And I'm thrilled that they were moving in that direction. But then two groups out of the 65 said, you know, we have 90 minute periods in the high school and I just wish the teacher would stop talking <laughs> right? Yes. Don't exactly. we all? Yeah. I mean, even yeah. the teacher wants to stop talking. Yeah. You know? So I, I'm reminded of, of that old phrase, and I don't remember who first shared it with me. Let's move away from being the sage on the stage to the guide on the side and right. facilitating that project-based learning. Well, and, and I think that's really what we're all trying to move towards. And, and I think at least I hope we're trying to move in that direction. You know, if I were to observe a teacher talking for 90 minutes, I think I'd end at, at 45. They're like, whoa, time out. We need to rethink this. We're going to break into some small groups. Yeah, think pair share over here, some silent reading over here. You guys, let's, I want to see some written response over here. Then we're cycling for the next 15 minutes. Boom, done. Transitions. Let's go change it up. Ask me your best questions. Let's go. So I'm with those students. I can't imagine a class that I would go back to a second time as an adult with free choice where somebody was going to talk at me for 90 minutes. Mm. Instead, I would suggest that they contact Julia and figure out how to teach better. That's what I would recommend. But, um, it, you know, the... I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you talk about passion and engagement, right? And I, why aren't schools like the most, I mean, full of knowledge workers, full of knowledge makers, uh, knowledge creators, schools should be the most dynamic, exciting places on the planet. And so I think that's the goal uh, from this conversation is, you know, is to start opening that floodgate. I, I agree with you, Dave. And what I hear from teachers, especially at the secondary level, 
I think there's just a ton of pressure on them to deliver content. Uh, and standards are rigorous and expectations are high with testing. And it's just a lot of pressure for them. So I can understand why it results in learning that way. Um, I don't think it's the right way to go about engaging students in learning and have them feel motivated to pursue their passions while in school and after. Um, but it begs the question, how do we change that practice? And what can leaders do uh, structurally or through coaching to make that type of teaching and learning unacceptable in a, in a culture? Um, I think that question I haven't seen answered sufficiently well to scale such that um, evaluations change or emphasis on testing changes. There's so many factors um, that create the type of instruction that is facilitated that I think, you know, we have to peel back the layers to figure out where all the problematic contribute contributions are. Dave, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. All those various pressures, you have to negotiate, moderate, and deal with all those as a chief school leader. Uh, how are you doing that? And how are you doing that and bringing in the, the, the essentials of neuroscience? Well, you know, it's kind of, that, that's the challenge. And the best answer I have is one administrator and one teacher at a time. So when I sat with an administrator yesterday and she says, I don't know what to do. My, my eighth grade math teacher sat there and said, I teach eighth grade math. Mm. And I said, whoa, time out. You teach students who are in the eighth grade mathematics. Right. And therefore, in the same way we're meeting you where you are, you need to figure out where your students are and then mm -hmm. bring them forward. Mm -hmm. Right. And in some respects, Tom, every single classroom is a one room schoolhouse. Mm -hmm. Right. Huge ranges of interest, huge ranges of skill, huge ranges of competence. And the teacher has to take the neuroscience and that's where it becomes an art form, right? It mm -hmm. shifts to an art form. But if they don't have the basic tools of neuroscience as applied to education, it's infinitely harder, I believe. So the neuroscience conversation, the brain-based learning conversation really helps us give teachers core tools, the mm -hmm. basics. I, I mean, mm -hmm. You need more than a hammer to build a house. You need more than a pacing guideline to teach children. Mm. You need to be able to pique their curiosity. You need to be able to connect with them as human beings. And, you know, teacher groups of teachers after groups of teachers, when you talk with them, and you, I'm sure you do this all the time, mm -hmm. but when you ask them, what did you remember from high school? It's not the content right. that they remember. It's the relationship with a teacher or several teachers. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's brain science right there, mm -hmm. forging that relationship. So encouraging people to do that, creating an ecology where people feel safe to take risks. Um, you know, and we started with administrators and that was because we wanted them to feel safe in this conversation. And we, then we, you know, we talk about scaling and it's, it's messy, but if the administrators don't have the language to talk with their teachers about it, they're not going to have those conversations. So, you know, um, and that's where the intentionality comes in. Mm. Uh, I mean, we scheduled several years out to the point where in year two, we were bringing in new teachers as their own cohort because the schools had already gone through it. Mm. 
but we wanted the new teachers to have the same language as the, their more veteran colleagues. So that's how we go after it for a scale perspective. So am I also hearing, Julia and Dave, that you are doing some internal training of trainers so that they can turnkey this work? Sort of. I think at least my philosophy at PLP is more, I would characterize it as building capacity and co-facilitating professional learning. The thing I don't love about turnkey, I think it still is not a partnership. Mm -hmm. Um, What I like to see is that relationship building between facilitator, myself and my team and the teachers together to partner and figure out You know, I've got the science, you've got the application. How can we bring our best to inspire your fellow colleagues and actually build credibility and understanding together? Mm -hmm. So it is is training trainers. More so how that's happening right now is through our Think Tank Innovators Program. And so some districts bring K to 12 teachers. It's like innovative teacher leaders who are ready to help make change. They're inspired by this work. And they're bringing teacher voice into the direction of professional learning for the district. Well, you, um, you, yeah. you, you can't just drop that think tank innovators without me asking a lot more about that. Yes, you, please. please. Please tell us about think tank innovators. Yeah. So think tank innovators came out of the model that we started uh, at Ben Salem Township School District, where Dave initiated our partnership. I think it may have happened once he had moved on, but it was still with that same essence and flavor that he started in our partnership. And the idea was, how do we elevate the voices of teachers so that we can hear what the needs of students are, build an innovative cadre of teachers who are ready to elevate their practice and bring along their colleagues to do the same. Um, And year after year, we train those teachers, figure out what the needs are across the district, and then collaboratively plan PD, where I'm doing some fundamental learning on science of learning for all staff across the district. And then these teachers are identifying goals and actions and uh, PD that they're going to do in their school building breakouts Um, along with principals to try to develop plans for applying science to practice that is completely driven by their vision, supported by me and our larger professional learning partnership. That's very empowering, very empowering. So Dave, you helped create that at Ben Salem. I did. And I, I sort of grew out of the notion of developing teacher leaders, mm-hmm. right? And empowering those teacher leaders. So we were training cohorts of teachers, kind of the vanguard, if you will. So they would be the go-to people in the building if Julia wasn't available, which she wouldn't be because she was, didn't work for us. So that was the whole notion around that. Um, uh, plus, we couldn't quite talk Julia into coming over and working <laughs> with us. But uh, so she was empowering. We were setting up cohorts of teachers to be the go-to people in the building around best practices of neuroscience integration in the classroom. So they were spending more time with Julia getting, I think like four days of training a year Mm -hmm. uh, for the first couple of years. And and then we just had identified cohorts and they were the go-to people in each Mm -hmm. building. Wonderful. And you know, Dave, I think, and Tom, this goes back to the questions you had talked about related to sustainability of partnerships and customization. Um, It's not just me or our our outside team. It's in their people 
and in their culture because they have representatives in every building who are the messengers and the liaisons for how do I use science in my practice? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it feels like it's part of the fabric of the district, which is what we want. And then because the think tank groups are um, identifying needs of their students, that's what our learning is driven toward. So it's not pre-planned. It's not something that I'm able to generate as far as PD curriculum goes. It's being driven by where they think the issues lie, Mm -hmm. which is kind of how we characterize innovation. Mm -hmm. You identify a problem, you observe, you test some things out, and they're living that process. As we start to come to a close of our time together, I want to ask you both a a question that's been on my mind and on my heart quite a bit these past couple months. Uh, You know, here we are, Uh, completing year two of a worldwide pandemic. We have social justice concerns all over our country and all over our world. We have an increase of mental health and trauma. So Dave, as a leader of a school district and Julia as a, a principal consultant in neuroscience, with all those concerns on everyone's plate, on their shoulders, in their heart and mind, What's the best direction you can give? You want to start, Dave? Sure. You know, when you frame it that way, it's really pretty bleak, Tom. But there's a whole nother narrative where it's like, you know, we're going to survive this thing Mm -hmm. and we're going to be stronger. And so, you know, we talked with our leadership, this team, leadership team this morning about creating safe spaces and um, really, you know, embracing a gratitude approach. Like, you know what? We are, it's hard, but we're managing to feed our kids. It's hard, but we're managing to deliver better instruction this year than the last two, you know, and it's hard, but we're, 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 we're coming at it from this place of gratitude and, you know, Angela Duckworth, I referenced her earlier. Mm -hmm. She's sort of the grit guru, right? Right, right. And uh, she talks a lot about this. um, And she's done a lot of work designing free lessons for, um, you know, resilience and and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And gratitude is huge in that approach. So we're, as the leadership team, approaching this year from a place of gratitude. We are thankful to be able to serve these kids. We are thankful to work with good teachers. We are thankful to work high in the Rocky Mountains. We are thankful to be in a leadership position to be able to address the aforementioned, you know, travails. I mean, I I was telling Julia just yesterday, I'm incredibly thankful to be in this leadership position and to be riding this storm out. Think of the thousands of superintendents before me who never had to help bring their kids and teachers through a a pandemic. I mean, wouldn't have asked for it. Wouldn't ask for it again, but I am grateful to have the opportunity to try to make it a little bit better. That's wonderful, Dave. You mentioned Duckworth and one of the folks that I love to study and read is Seligman out of university of Pennsylvania. Probably I would guess one of her mentors. Uh, I believe he is. I believe Martin Marty is, but I think he just retired a little bit ago. Oh, did he? Oh my goodness. Okay. 
Yeah. A lot of neuroscience yeah. to support gratitude work. Oh, then, then you've got to teaches, tell us. You've got to tell us. Come on, Julia. Yeah, it teaches your brain, you know, those healthy habits. When you have those thoughts and, and develop those habits around healthy thinking and, and being grateful, you stay away from the negative thoughts and you can, you know, help create that healthy space. Um, and there's chemical associations with that in your brain that are that help you feel better, think better. Um, I would add to that too, Tom, about your earlier question. What I think about is focusing on people in this time that is so challenging. There's so many serious issues that we're facing. Um, as long as we think about the human beings in front of us and we treat them as people who deserve respect and connection and care, if that's our top priority, I think we're going to be okay. Um, it's not getting lost in the details. It's not letting our anger come out in places it shouldn't. Um, and especially protecting our children and making sure that they're as healthy and safe as possible. So as I listened to both of you, and I'm very grateful that you were with us today, I'm hearing a really strong link between neuroscience and social emotional learning. It's paramount. I mean, there is no learning without safety. Um, and I think we had talked about that in yes. our last episode is, yes. you know, if our brains, if we're in amygdala hijack state, if we are unable to calm ourselves down into a place where our rational parts of our brain can take over, then academic learning really isn't possible. So that's what we talk about in our professional learning is that safety takes priority. That is the number one goal of any educator is to create that safe space where there is trust, where there is that freedom to take risk, like Dave talked about earlier. And that's where real learning is possible. Interesting, Julia, that the last time we visited together, uh, I came away with a final quote. I don't know if you remember sharing this with me, but I, I probably quote you almost every other week now. Uh, and you shared at that point in time to remind us all that we are feeling brains that think. We are not thinking brains that feel. And uh, I will tell you, I've passed it on and passed it on and passed it on. I'm so very grateful. Dave, thank you so much. Julia, thank you again. Uh, Mike, thank you always for producing this wonderful, important work. I, I wish you all melt well, friends. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. It was such a pleasure. Likewise. Great way to spend an hour. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> thank, thank you, you Julia. Bye -bye. I'm writing down your quote, Julia. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs>